These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Sarah Bettinger on the other end. Sarah, how are we doing today, my guy? Doing great, man. Doing great. It's uh, today in Omaha. There was kind of like a nice, is like high sixties, low seventies, overcast. Dude, I about busted out the the cinnamon and pumpkin scents over here. I, I brought out a hoodie today just just to kind of usher in the feeling of of fall. You know, it's my favorite time of year, man. So I'm I'm willing it into existence. I'm speaking it into existence right now over here. Yes, yeah, so a tale of two different stories here. Sarah's dealing with the high 60s early in the you know mornings out there. We had a heat index of 104 Ooh. for the last three days here in Atlanta. So nice and sticky. You know, the temperature only outside about 90 to 91 degrees, Sarah. But I don't know if you know anything about that southeast humidity. It can get a little bit nuts down here. You feel like you're walking around uh, basically in a hot tub, constantly wet. Wow. You can't go outside and not sweat. So, uh, yeah, man, you, you're living the life out there. Got a nice 60 mm-hmm, degrees, mm-hmm. Uh, nice wind blowing. Haley and I, my fiance, have both decided that the ideal weather is 72 degrees. Uh, can't get any better or any worse than that right there. 72 degrees is the perfect weather. Um, so I guess we're going to move to San Diego at some point <laughs> in our life because uh, apparently that's what yeah. it is out there every day. But, no, Sarah, we've got a great show. I hope you've had a great day, as have the listeners Uh, whether or not you're catching this in the morning. Uh, If you are in the morning, what a great way to start your day with a little bit of NFL Mocks podcast. Uh, If you're catching this in the evening, maybe a little downtime after you put the kiddos to bed uh, before maybe you get some shut-eye. We appreciate you guys for listening. A nice little nightcap here. But, Sarah, we are halfway through uh, preseason week two. We had five football games on tonight. I know you got a little bit of a late start here watching these football games, but you caught up with us before we got to – Start on the podcast tonight and open the recordings, man. We're going to give the guys or the listeners a good heavy rundown of some of these rookies uh, and young guys that have been on the field this week uh, in these five football games we've had on this beautiful Thursday evening, Sarah. Uh, If there is one, uh, where should we start? Where are you most excited, Sarah? Uh, You know, a young guy to talk about. We'll let you open the floor. And uh, again, again, man, welcome back into the podcast. And it's always good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, same to you, man. Same to you for sure. I think, obviously, you know, we want to keep a keep a heavy emphasis and a heavy focus on the rookies in here. But uh, I think the best play that I've seen so far came from Lamar Jackson in the Packers Ravens game. I know there's not a ton for us to talk about in that game overall, but the play called back too. Yeah, it was called back. And uh, but man, I mean, I don't play Xbox anymore, but you could just picture somebody sitting there pushing the X button, pushing the B button, and moving Lamar Jackson around like he was a video game character. And he did the little, the the classic Madden hurdle right at the right at the end zone. It was just so cool, man. And it was it was sweet to see that because 
I think Lamar Jackson's been one of the most polarizing guys of this entire offseason, you know? Like, I don't feel like there's a there's a universal confidence in Lamar Jackson, which, understandably so. I mean, he's a second-year guy. It's not like you just anoint the guy after one season of starting, and specifically with the way he threw the ball last year. But still, I mean, this is a first-round pick. This is a guy who won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, this guy can ball and flat out. He he showed it on that play. If he's playing with confidence, man, he's hard to stop. And I just can't wait to see, you know, in year two for Lamar Jackson, if that if the game slows down for him. I don't know what your thoughts were on him coming out. I really thought he had huge potential. And then just kind of seeing him throw the ball last year against NFL defenses, my confidence dwindled a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, what do you think for year two for Lamar Jackson? I mean, do you think he can be a franchise QB for the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, so just to kind of give you a feeling of how I felt about Lamar Jackson going to, or, you know, going to the draft out of college, I actually had him, you know, and I'm, I'm bold enough, you know, and, and confident enough to tell you that I had him number one on my quarterback wow. big board coming out of college just because – of the way, you know, the dynamic playmaking ability, everything I saw with his arm action. But, again, Sarah, man, everything after his last game of college football uh, is a negative in terms of, you know, a pro prospect's grayed out. You know, I didn't like the decision, like we talked about in previous shows, not to sign an agent, even without, uh, you know, the rookie contracts. They are slated. I understand that. Where you're drafted is what you're paid. I'm, I'm well aware of that. But an agent helps you and steers you in the correct uh, way and directions in terms of decisions being made. Uh, I don't like the decisions he's made with his quarterback uh, and his throwing coach in the offseason. He spent all of his offseason this year back in St. Petersburg, Florida, where he's from, throwing with some, you know, and I don't mean to degrade the guy. I don't know what he does for a living outside of coaching Lamar Jackson at quarterback play. Um, but he's, a, he's an unheard of guy. It's a quarterback coach that no one's uh, heard of. No one knows his credentials. Um, so all the decisions Lamar's made since his last day, days there at Louisville, I'm not too fond of. As for his second year, man, I still think he struggles with the size of the NFL football. I know everyone likes to make it a big deal or lack thereof during the NFL combine season when they measure these quarterbacks' hands. But last year, Lamar Jackson led the NFL in terms of quarterbacks in fumbles, uh, you know, during the game. So this is a guy who's had problems holding on to the football, and I think it's kind of relaying into his throwing mechanics are all messed up. I mean, there's a whole bunch you can go wrong with that. Um, And obviously I probably should have seen that coming out of college. But, you know, this is a guy who's going to make plays with his feet. You know, John Harbaugh's been asked all spring or all camp whether or not he's going to run Lamar like he did last year, and he almost laughed it off and said even more. So I think there is a potential for good things to happen in year two because their offensive line is so dominant in the run game, a lot of big bodies there, and I love what they did with Mark Ingram and having Gus Edwards still on roster. So to answer your question, long and and very long-winded fashion, uh, as usual, coming out of me. Um, but I have good hopes for Lamar Jackson in year two, but I'm not here to tell you that he's going to throw for 4,000 yards, if that makes any sure, sense. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. Um, but, man, that – But let's, it, let's stick with cool the Ravens, see. man. Yeah. Let's, let's get into this Ravens-Packer game. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, obviously, one of, the, one of the key rookies for the Ravens this year, and like you said, they're going to be running the ball a lot – one of the key rookies for them is going to be the running back, Justice Hill. And I think they have such an interesting dynamic at their running back position, right? I mean, the Ravens have kind of this uh, this combination of fire and ice with, uh, you know, with Ingram and uh, and now Justice Hill in there. And then you've got, uh, you've got Lamar Jackson at the quarterback position. So it, it's a really cool group of guys. And then I think Trace McSorley kind of brings a fun – factor into it as well as a runner because he's I think he's going to see some some time on the field a little bit in the regular season too and the Saints are kind of setting an example with what they're doing with uh, um, Taysom Hill and everything so if they if the Ravens want to use Trace McSorley for something like that but Justice Hill 49 yards on 10 carries and a touchdown and, and that's exactly what they need from him they need the big plays and I think he's not he's not necessarily going to be a bulk 
running back and obviously averaging five yards a carry. Not the it's not the highest average you could possibly have, but I mean Justice Hill is a guy who if you give him if you give him ten touches in the game, he could go for fifty, sixty, seventy yards. I mean he can take any play to the house. He's just got such explosive speed and and athletic ability. So I really like the element that he adds to the mix. I mean just imagine being a defense and the Ravens come out in 21 personnel two backs and and a tight end and and they have Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram and Justice Hill out there I mean you don't know where the ball's going and you don't I mean you really have to be on your toes as a defensive coordinator because those guys got power they've got speed they've got vision they can make plays in the open field so that's that's my my big takeaway from them and I really like that pickup for the Ravens all right so you mentioned the, the flash word for me. The key word is Taysom Hill, and you mentioned Trace McSoy. Look, I, I don't mean to throw water on this Taysom Hill fire across the NFL because I know a lot of football teams are now trying to experiment with this, you know, if you will, uh, weapon of a player and type caliber of a player. But let me just explain something to the normal people. Uh, and I know, Sarah, and I don't mean to demean you. I know you know how much of a freak uh, Taysom Hill is in terms of just athletic ability. Uh, But we're talking about a quarterback out of BYU who front squatted 435 pounds uh, his senior year (laughs) after two knee surgeries, okay? Um, I don't know, for those of you who at home, if you've ever tried to back squat anything close to 400 pounds, it seems like a lot of weight. Now, imagine trying to front squat uh, that kind of weight. I've seen college football players barely be able to handle, you know, a buck 85 with proper form. We're talking about a former quarterback who can front squat that much if you were to translate that into a back squat. We're talking close to 600 pounds. So, I, Sarah, let's just off the top of your head. Do you think Trace McSorley is anywhere, you know, the caliber of athlete Taysom Hill is? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to go ahead and say not. Yeah, so, I mean, 425-pound front squat um, immediately puts you in the upper echelon of human beings on this earth, let alone – uh, football players and quarterbacks. So, um, yeah, Taysom Hill, for those of you at home, when you think, oh, he's just wearing number seven or whatever, he looks cute out there for the New Orleans Saints, or some people would call him a gadget player. No, please understand, Taysom Hill is a freak of a human being who also does kick return and punt return from them. So uh, a little bit different of a scenario there, but I'm with you, man. I think, you know, Trace McSorley, a guy who's probably going to earn some reps later on in the season, uh, definitely a locker room guy that everybody loves. But, you know, some things that stood out to me in this football game, uh, Miles Boykin with Hollywood Brown still out with a foot issue is getting a ton of first, uh, you know, team reps there in Baltimore, the wide receiver out of Notre Dame, third-round draft pick there. Um, Sarah, I'm just questioning uh, what they've got in terms of, you know, receivers in that receiving court in Baltimore. You know, the cupboard's pretty bare there. Uh, for the Ravens, if if Hollywood Brown's not going to be on the field and Miles Boykin's going to just assume to be a starter, I know you got Willie Sneed there, but do you have any confidence in that wide receiver room as of now? Oh, absolutely not. No, no way. Um, and we know that, I mean, every, every position translated to the NFL is tough. Mm-hmm. But I think wide receiver is generally considered one of the toughest, isn't it? I mean, these guys are... They're facing a lot of different coverages. They're learning a lot of different things uh, in terms of just offensive schematics and, and not just being open based on athletic ability, but having to work their way open. And so it's a lot tougher for these guys. And the Ravens have a young group out there, and they have a quarterback who doesn't necessarily like throw guys open all the time. And so it, I think it's going to be tough sledding for them. They need Hollywood Brown to at least be – that guy who can take the top off of the defense and and open things up for other guys underneath. But, yeah, I I don't really have much confidence in that group. No, nah, me neither. So a couple notes here from Brooks's book, uh, my little handy-dandy notebook I like to keep when I'm watching multiple games, uh, taking notes on young players. Uh, Rashad Gary, I know we talked about him last episode. Uh, we got about 20, 25 snaps in that opening preseason game there for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, interesting note here, Sarah, the ones, the one, the starting defense for Green Bay started and played most of the first half in this football game. 
and both of the Smith boys, Harrison and Preston Smith, were starting at uh, you know outside linebacker there for Green Bay. So Rashawn Gary not on the field for majority of the reps. I think I saw him get one to two reps there with the ones in the first half. Sarah, what do you think about you know a guy they take him there at you know the twelfth pick in the first round this year, and to not be able to get him onto the field because of what you ended up doing after uh, you know the draft there with NFL free agency. I think my timing's correct there. I may be backwards. But either way, you got Preston mm-hmm. Smith. You got the Smith brothers in there. What do you think about, you know, not necessarily wasting the draft capital, um, but now that we see their true intentions with their starting defense, your 12th overall pick not necessarily being able to make it onto the field uh, for every down snaps. What are your thought about thoughts about that? Yeah, I don't know how much I, li- how much I like that. I mean, especially when you have two first-round picks – you know, the Packers are a team that really needs instant impact on that mm-hmm. side of the ball. And if Rashawn Gary's not going to be that, you know, it's it's a bit of a concern. You know, you want him to get on the field as much as possible. And, and especially, you know, just even as good of an athlete as he is, you don't necessarily just want to move a guy who played with his hands on the ground at Michigan to, to outside linebacker just because, you know, just because he's a great athlete. And so... Mm-hmm. I don't know. If it were me, and I'm the defensive coordinator there, I'd be looking for ways to get him uh, to get him on the field more often, and especially in preseason. Mm-hmm. You know, figure out a way to work him in with your starting unit and get him get all those guys on the field at once. Like a creative defensive coordinator should absolutely be able to be able to, to to figure out a way to do that. You know, and so that's just my opinion. I'm sure we'll see some of that as we go along. But I, I don't also I don't really buy into the notion that uh, that defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators are doing so much to just hide you know regular season plans. I know that they're not really giving away the farm or anything, so the, yeah. it's not like the Packers are going to be given given all everything away. But I mean, at the same time, like you want to be able to see what these guys can do in game action and one on one situations and. So I would love to have seen him on the field a little bit more. So my question now is if you're going to have Preston Smith, Zedarius Smith, and Rashawn Gary on this roster, Sarah, only two of them can, you know, presumably only two of them can play, you know, that outside pass rushing position. If there's going to be one, if you want to keep all three of these guys on the field at the same time, if you had to drop one to more of an in-the-space linebacker position, uh, which one would it be? Because I know it's not, for me, it's not going to be Rashawn Gary. I'm going to keep him on the edge there and maybe drop Preston Smith and leave Zadarius Smith. Which one would you go with? Or would you just rather only have two of the three on the field at the same time and keep one of them, for, you know, keep them all fresh and rotate? Yeah, I think that there's some value to that. But at the same time, you know, like you're going to get situations in third and long where you're going to want all your best pass rushers on the field. And I think in that case, I would probably bump Preston Smith down. I think he's he's really known for being more physical um, at the point of attack. And, and not that Zadarius Smith isn't, but I think Rashawn Gary, if he's protected by either one of those guys, I think he could you know play the outside linebacker spot. And then what, either one of those guys, I mean, just depending on the matchups, you know, depending on the team you're playing, I think that if the if the Packers are playing against. You know, let's let's just say Minnesota. I mean, they could really line him up on either side because it's not like the Vikings have two elite bookend tackles. Yeah. Uh, but if they're playing against the the Lions, you know, you don't necessarily want to go up against Taylor Decker with your rookie edge player. So you maybe put him over on the the other side. So that's just what I that's what I would do. I mean, and I'm I, I, obviously I'm not a defensive coordinator. I'm not, you know, I'm not a schematics type of guy but I just think in terms of getting your best guys out on the field and getting the most return on that first round investment I think that that's something that I would definitely do all right last note I have for this football game here you know I love me some Eldon Jenkins the center uh, out of Mississippi State uh, third round draft pick for the Green Bay Packers this year or perhaps excuse me second round draft pick uh, for the Green Bay Packers this past draft Uh, You know, he's working with the second unit there, uh, and they've got him sticking at center, though his roster position, you know, lists him at guard. So I I think this is kind of a a first-man-up type of scenario there in Green Bay. they still got a solid unit there guard to guard. Uh, You know, their center is still on – or is in the – excuse me, on their last year there of that deal. So maybe they're grooming him. Uh, to take that center position next year. So Elgin Jenkins, a guy who, uh, you know, not necessarily a household name, especially being an offensive lineman, but a guy we've loved here on the NFL Mox podcast. So we're not going to stop loving him just because 
he went and put a professional uniform on. Sarah, a couple of That's names right. here before we get into our, ex, our next game that the folks just need to know haven't been playing uh, this preseason, or at least we haven't seen them. We haven't seen Jawan Taylor, the second-round draft pick, uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, he slid because of an apparent knee issue that was held off of the record. Uh, none of us Twitter folks and none of us draft experts necessarily knew about that till draft night. No Hollywood Brown. And we haven't seen Hakeem Butler at all this spring or this training camp either. So a couple of names there. Sarah, let's move on to our next game. Uh, are you done with your thoughts on the Packers and Ravens football game? Did you have any other highlights, names yeah. you want to point out? No, no, I think we covered that one pretty good. So, yeah, I feel good about that one. All right, and, I'll uh, let you pick the next to, one. I would love to see Jay Sternberger, though, you know? Yeah. Um, dude, I gotta. I just got to mention, too, with the Jets and the Falcons game, I think that the biggest thing in that game for me, it was just a splash play. You know, I don't see I don't see him really even in the, the box score much. But a splash play that I saw going around Twitter was Quinn and Williams just absolutely destroying that Atlanta Falcons left guard. I didn't even I didn't Wes even Schweitzer. catch the guy's name. Is that who yeah. it is? If, I don't know. It's number sixty eight. Oh no, that's not Wes Schweitzer. Schweitzer wears seventy one. I don't know who sixty eight is. I'll look, go ahead. We'll call his name out. If he's gonna get embarrassed on yeah, national television, know. we need to shit on him right here. Yeah, absolutely. You need to look it up. It, it was a, I mean, it was a heck of a play. It looked like their feet got tied up. He got, uh, looked like he kind of caught his foot on the left tackle's right foot. So he tripped a little bit, but Quinn and Williams, boy, he pushed him around. Like, I mean, it was like he was at Alabama playing against some D2, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like tune-up game. It was a ragdoll moment. Yeah, tune-up game for him. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was great to see. I mean, that's what... That's what the New York Jets want. They want Quinn and Williams out there imposing his will, bullying guys, making sure that, yeah, we all know he's this fun-loving teddy bear guy off the field. But on the field, man, he is an absolute destroyer of of the human uh, soul. I mean, he's just, he's just fun to watch. So that was a, a great play to me. Um, unfortunately, like you mentioned, a little injury report for the Jags before. Blake Cashman, another guy. Friend of the NFL Mox podcast, another very, very insightful, very good interview you did uh, earlier this offseason with with the Minnesota captain uh, and fifth round pick of the New York Jets. He did not play in this game. He's uh, he's injured. I don't know what he's got with an injury. Uh, but then we're seeing just kind of the the first stages of Jakai Polite's game as well here going on. So that stands, that game's still ongoing here in the fourth quarter as we record this podcast but man Quinn Williams with the big splash play and I think that the the Jets have got to be excited I mean their defense already looking really strong last year uh, like an up-and-coming unit and now you've got Greg Williams kind of leading the way there and I think that Quinn Williams is just going to be an absolute game changer for them so very very good to see the early returns on that one yeah pretty safe bet there and Quinn Williams uh you know, in his first couple of NFL preseason games here, I, I wanted to see what he would do against NFL double teams, and he's more than holding his own. Number 68 for the Atlanta Falcons, Sarah, is Jamin Brown, a fifth-year guard from Louisville, getting rag-tossed uh, in his sixth, now you know, now fifth, excuse me, preseason uh, here in the NFL. So, you know, not necessarily a, a young buck that uh, Quentin Williams is in there throwing around, even though it was a splash play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My biggest takeaway from this football game is got to be the fact that the Atlanta offense, the starters were in the football game almost all of the first half. I looked up on my computer screen, uh, and with about three minutes left in the first half, Matt Ryan's still playing quarterback with, I, I, kid, wow. I kid you not, Sarah, you couldn't name a single receiver on the roster unless you happen to be from the Atlanta area and you know that, you know, the Hardy guy returns punts and kicks here, number 14. Outside of that, couldn't name a single guy out there playing receiver for him, all guys that will presumably not make this roster. But, yeah, that's kind of what stood out to me. Mm. Chris Lindstrom playing a lot of snaps here. Matt Ryan playing a lot of snaps. Uh, no Devontae Freeman. We saw a lot of Edo Smith. So, uh, not necessarily young guys. We still haven't seen Caleb McGarry. I'm assuming he's still dealing with whatever heart issues he's got going on, uh, you know, so safe, safe prayers to him. Hope, you know, that's not anything to play with there, not that we play with any injuries around here 
uh, with the NFL Mocks podcast. But Caleb McGarry, definitely a, a scary thing there. But it's apparently something they knew about when they drafted him. I think he's got an irregular heartbeat or something similar along those lines. Mm-hmm. So it's not life-threatening or anything like that. But it's probably going to take the kid a while to get his you know feet up underneath him and get ready to play this coming football season. So, yeah, not a lot of takeaways from that Atlanta and Jets game, except for this here. What do you think about DAZN there getting in, that D-A-Z-N getting in and televising NFL football preseason games? What do you think about that? Wait, tell me more about this here, DAZN. So, so DAZN is a, uh, a live streaming site. Uh, you know, they've got apps and whatnot. Okay. D-A-Z-N, okay. and it's actually owned by – uh, John, what's his name, used to own or used to run, be the CEO of ESPN. Uh, so he kind of spun off. And they're primarily in boxing and mixed martial arts. But I guess with the preseason there, they bought, they, you know, forked out some money and bought a, a preseason football game. So, yeah, primarily focused in boxing. They've got a late uh, – do you remember Adnan Verk used to work for ESPN, Sarah? Cover baseball for them. Yep, Adnan yep, Burke yep. now does their baseball program. Uh, they've kind of got a round table, like a baseball tonight kind of spinoff thing for the zone. So, anyways, that's enough advertisement, free advertisement, amount of ad for the <laughs> zone there. Uh, uh, but yeah, the uh, zone. That's where the Atlanta Falcons game was tonight. So, for those of you in the Atlanta area wondering what the hell is going on with your TV. That is what it is. So let's move away from that Atlanta Falcons game, Sarah, and let's hop right into this Eagles-Jags game, another football game that is still in. Uh, At one point, man, Gardner Minshew playing a lot of this football game. At one point, I looked up and saw Gardner Minshew 16 for 21 for a buck 40. How about that? Yeah, Gardner Minshew got a lot of work, and I saw a couple of nice – uh, a couple of nice throws downfield for him. I think his first game was a bit of a struggle, mm-hmm. uh, but that's to be expected. I mean, we gotta be gotta be realistic with these guys. And still, I mean, he's he completed 19 of 29 passes, didn't get into the end zone, uh, and and I think that that's the number one thing the Jags wanted to see. So you can't grade it all the way up there as like a a performance, but I think it was a definite improvement for Minshew, and I liked. I liked his game last year, man. I enjoyed watching Washington State play, and I enjoyed watching Minshew play. I mean, I think he's a fun guy. He's got some some personality. I think he's a great backup type for the NFL, at least initially. I mean, you never know what he could become as he grows in his craft and everything. But right now, for Nick Foles being his backup, I kind of like that situation for the Jaguars. And uh, I like what he did tonight. He was he was spreading the ball around. He He completed 19 passes. I mean, he's... He it, and they weren't all just like quick, you know, quick twitch, all right, quick drop and and fire the ball out. He made a nice. There was one play to to a tight end. I think it was O'Shaughnessy. It was he O'Shaughnessy. made a nice play down the seam. Uh, that was a great throw. Mm-hmm. That was a really great throw. And so, he, I love to see that from the rookie coming back after a tough week and then answering the call and, and making some plays. Yeah, I'm seeing it right now. He finished the football game 19 for 29. For I believe 202 yards, my eyesight's getting a little bit rough on me in my old age. Um, but yeah, Gardner, <laughs> Gardner Mitchell looks like more of an ad lib football player, man. Not necessarily a guy who's there to you know yeah. live within the confines of the offense, but maybe you know experiment and get outside the pocket and, and make some plays with his feet. But yeah, definitely a deer in the headlights moment there in his first preseason start. Dropped a snap. Next thing you know, uh, he's got a helmet up underneath his chin strap. So. You know, not a great first, mm-hmm. not a great first game, but you know, some 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 nerves there going on. And you know, drop a snap's never good in yeah. the NFL. People are going to be on you quick. But uh, you know, making a good a good right. second impression here with his second game. Uh, what, what what are some notes here I've got for you on this Eagles Jags game, Sarah? I know we talked about a pre-show and definitely a note I took as soon as I turned the screen on and saw number nineteen was JJ Arcega Whiteside. I thought to myself. That's just another dude. Look, I, I understand height, you know, doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL because everyone else gains a couple of inches on you. So it's just not going to pop on screen like it typically does or, or did for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside there at Stanford. But, Sarah, I mean, and, and you can attest to this, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside looked like one of the biggest wide receivers on film this year uh, coming out of college from Stanford. Oh, yeah. uh, even And not just tall, Sarah, he looked thicker. Uh, almost like a big, you know, a thinner body tight end type of mold 
uh, playing there at, at receiver for Stanford, and he gets to Philly. And I understand, like we said, it's the NFL field. Everyone's bigger, faster, and stronger. But the height and the size just didn't translate. Whereas a guy like Nikhil Harry still looks big for me on an NFL football field. So to me, I say that yeah. that size translates when I see a guy like J.J. Arcega Whiteside. Maybe it doesn't, and maybe that's not necessarily you know a, a shot at him as it is as much of a shot at the Pac-12 and maybe some of their DBs and, and corners they've got in terms of their size. But what were your thoughts, or what are your thoughts of the young guy out of Stanford? I know it's still really early. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. He looked quite a bit smaller, and I think part of that too is that he he played so big at Stanford. You know, he was known for winning jump ball situations and playing kind of that basketball player role, and uh, that definitely did stand out. And he he had uh, seven targets in this game and only two catches. So no separation. Not only does he look small, I mean that's. Yep, that's that's tough, and that is that was a concern for him coming out. So that's something. I mean, obviously you win a lot of jump ball situations in college, but part of the reason why you're winning jump ball situations is because you're not getting that separation all the time consistently. And so, I think that uh, that's definitely an issue right there. I mean, if that if there's that big of a discrepancy and it's not the quarterback, and we can obviously go back and watch some of the film on that one and, and see, you know, every incompletion, every interception has a story to tell. So go back and check that out. But at the same time, seven targets and only two catches. That's a big difference there. I don't know. What do you think about Miles Sanders, though, man? I mean, averaging 6.2 a carry, only five carries in this game. But at the same time, he was running hard in this game. and He looked pretty solid. What did you think? So if anyone's got anything bad to say about Miles Sanders, you ought to know, you know, if you if you followed him all the way through the draft, you ought to know what it is. The guy had the highest fumble rate percentage in college football last year. So my question, Sarah, and, and you really never know if you're even going to get it there in Philadelphia because of guys like Josh Adams and, and, and the running back by committee, they seemingly try to run there in that system. But you just wonder if he gets the bulk of the share carries uh, there in Philadelphia, whether or not he's going to put the ball on the turf. But I don't think there's any question about what he can do and his, elusive, his elusiveness and his impact on the game when he does, in fact, have the ball in his hands. The key is to just keep the ball in his hands. So, again, a limited workload there at right. Penn State when those numbers did arise with the fumble percentages. Uh, again, number one in college football. Not the, you know, not the stat you necessarily want to lead uh, all of professionals or, you know, all of college sports in. And, but, you know, I like what I see in terms of, like I said, making guys miss. What did you think of the, the young man, Clayton Thorson? Did you get any shot to look at him playing quarterback? I know he had a jump ball there on fourth and four today that ended up in a touchdown. Uh, but, you know, looked okay. But we, we know he's not going to get very many snaps, if yeah. any, there in Philadelphia. Right, yeah, and that jump ball play looked like it was kind of a kind of a weak throw um, to me. So I, I don't know. I again, I need to go back and watch it, but it looked like it was kind of he just kind of lofted it up there, and somehow his yeah. guy came down with it, and he had he had another interception there. So I, that touchdown pass that he threw probably could have been picked off by a better defensive back, but at the same time, I mean you. I mean that's a it's a nice play for him. I mean he gets to he gets to say he threw an NFL touchdown there and and that's how that goes. But I mean again to me it didn't look great and I was kind of down on Thorson in general. I mean I know there was a lot of pre-draft hype for him because you know he had I think it was back when he was a freshman or sophomore he had so much uh, hype around him after he had a decent season that everyone's like, well, he could be this next NFL QB. And then two years later, he's kind of just injuries helping him fall off the, the map a little bit and just inconsistency, not great production. But still, I mean, these these NFL evaluators and these people seem to think that guys who have played in a pro-style offense in college have this ability to translate to the next level you know come hell or high water and and Thorson's one of those guys and so I don't know I just didn't see it mm -hmm. for me personally I I didn't think he was really a draftable commodity but you know if, if in the right system you never know and the Eagles have a good system in place so uh not overly impressed by his work in this game personally all right last thing before we move on you know I got to hit on some linemen uh Josh Allen did play in this football mm -hmm. game as did Andre Dillard Andre Dillard played the entire first half, Sarah, and I could not be any more smitten. 
I don't know any more uh, words to throw at this guy to tell you that he's going to be great, uh, but he really, really is. I mean, he, he manhandled Josh Allen uh, two plays specifically in a row. One thing to note about Josh Allen, for those of you who haven't watched much Jaguar football or, for that matter, any 3-4 defensive football, Josh Allen is playing both sides, left and right defensive ends. So he's having to learn to rush the edge from both sides. He's having to learn to set the edge from both sides of the defense. Uh, and it's not something he seems to be lost on, but you can definitely, I saw him a couple times, have to catch himself and switch his feet. So it's definitely something for a quick twitch athlete that made his money, uh, and a lot of it there at Kentucky, rushing the edge and bending the edge, getting jumps on guys and just simply running around him. Majority of his sacks, and again, this isn't a shot at the kid, uh, he, he, did, he did what worked in college. Most of his sacks came from running around people. So it's going to take a while for him to get acclimated, though he did play in a three. I th- he played in a 3-4 Kentucky as well, but this is an NFL 3-4, so it's a little bit different, and he's asked to be doing a lot more. So what have you seen from Josh Allen real quick uh, before we move on, sir? Yeah, I know he had a, a hit on Carson Wentz tonight, so that's a good positive to take away for him. But at the same time, you know, you just need to get these guys into the thick of things in, in regular season play. You know, get them, get them into the groove of an actual game. Right now they're trying to win basically one-on-ones, and uh, I think that Josh Allen's the kind of guy who his his motor and his athleticism really wears on guys over the course of a game. And uh, I just think he's going to be so much more effective the the longer he plays. And so I think you're right. I think, you know, you get kind of a welcome to the NFL type moments. And um, you see those in limited preseason reps for certain guys. But um, if I mean, if he had a chance to play with all the all the other rookies, you know, the threes and the fours who are playing right now. I'm sure he'd be out there just racking up sacks. So, yeah, limited reps. I think he's going to be a guy who who really excels when given more opportunities. For sure. All right, Sarah, you've got two and a half minutes to give me your thoughts on the Bengals and Redskins game because I guarantee you the listener does not want to hear any more than that. <laughs> well, we obviously had our first touchdown pass of the – preseason for Dwayne Haskins and go check it out it was a good one it was deep down the field very nice throw especially after he threw two interceptions last week to to Mac uh Mac Wilson there for the Cleveland Browns that was tough um but you know you get out there you get that first touchdown pass you kind of get the confidence brewing a little bit he didn't have a great game but he did have 114 yards passing on only seven completions so that's pretty nice right there and uh you like to see that for the rookie quarterback. But, man, talk about getting uh, getting kind of one-upped on your home field by a fellow rookie quarterback, Ryan Finley, man. Check out this this stat line for the rookie out of North Carolina State. 20 completions uh, on 26 attempts, 150 yards, and two touchdowns. One of those touchdowns, my man, was to Drew Sample, one of our duds on last episode. So Drew Sample getting some red zone work, uh, working out in the flat and, and making a play. I mean, it wasn't a difficult play, but, I mean, they're all in the NFL. They're all difficult plays. And so two targets, two catches for 15 yards for Drew Sample, and uh, that's that's great for him, man. I love that. Uh, Jermaine Pratt had a pass, pass breakup in this game. Very nice to see him making some plays. Uh, looks like Rennell Wren got act, uh, active in the action here with a tackle. and uh, But the, the Bengals have a lot of young players on this team, man. Just so many young guys. And they're going to be – it's going to be brutal for their fans this year to watch, I think, especially if A.J. Green continues to stay hurt. But, man, Ryan Finley looking nice tonight. I mean, that's a good – That's a good preseason stat line. You want guys to be on time. You want them to be effective, efficient, uh, just operate the offense and make plays, and he capitalized. Yeah, that's one thing I'll say about Ryan Finley's tape coming out of NC State was that when, you know, he was throwing the ball on time, he was extremely accurate, putting the ball wherever he wanted to. It's, you know, what the NFL calls for nowadays is off-platform throws, being able to move within the pocket. And Finley's more of a statue in the pocket. You're not really going to get much movement out of him. Uh, he, he looks a lot like that other guy that used to play at NC State. You know, the one with the really long neck that now plays for Oakland, mm. that Mike Glennon guy. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Finley looks yeah. a lot like Mike yeah. Glennon. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty fair 
comp there. Uh, you know, a lot shorter, though. And by a lot, I mean about two and a half inches. Ryan Finlay, you know, uh, homeboy from Oakland's touching about 6'7 there. Isn't, he, isn't Mike Glennon about 6'7? Yeah, he is. He's six seven. I know. I know his. I know his neck's about nine inches. So if you were to just give him a normal neck, maybe him him and Ryan Finley are about twins. But no, the stat line looks very, very solid. Uh, And for you know an offensive line, Sarah, that we've talked about all off season, just and with the injury to Jonah Williams, it's just not looking good. Uh, It's constantly going downhill there. But that Washington offensive line has looked. Much, much worse. And it's all, to me, Sarah, relating back to, uh, you know, Trent Williams not playing and, and refusing to play. And I know we haven't covered mm-hmm. that much here at all on the NFL Mox podcast. But it's an ugly situation there in Washington. Uh, the, the rumors are that he has played, or at least he thinks he's played his last game as a Redskin. We'll see about that, Sarah. Let's move on to the best and final game from the night, even though it wasn't very competitive at all. But we like it for the star power that it brings. And it's that Raiders, Oakland Raiders, at the Arizona Cardinals and those Oakland Raiders. The John, the fighting John Grudens put a whooping on that Arizona yeah. Cardinals squad. Sarah, what were you looking for in this game, and what did you end up getting? Yeah, I think you're definitely looking uh, for on the Raiders side of things. I mean, three first round draft picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's gonna draw a lot of eyes in the preseason, especially. So you're kind of looking for just just glimpses for these guys because we know the Raiders are are putting these guys in the starting lineup right away. All three of their first round picks were listed as starters on their initial depth chart, so they're not gonna play a ton in these in these preseason tune up games. Obviously, next week starters will play a little bit longer. We'll get to see more of them, but I'll start off with Josh Jacobs, man. Four carries for 21 yards, averaging 5.3 a pop. We know that he's going to be the bell cow for this Raiders offense, and and he showed just some nice toughness on his running, exactly what we expect from him. I mean, that's what they that's what the Raiders need from him this year. They need they lost Marshawn Lynch. John Gruden obviously wanted that style of runner in his offense, and he's going to get it from Josh Jacobs. I mean, he's going to demand that out of his rookie so that was good to see Cleveland Farrell just one tackle in this game nothing crazy for him uh, I believe the same was true for Jonathan Abram so didn't get a ton of looks at these guys I'm gonna have to go back and watch the the snap by snap film on them but the biggest story in this game for the Oakland Raiders is Mike Glennon man dropping dimes out there he had a weak first preseason game just terrible I remember even reading someone's tweet saying like the enough is enough with this Mike Glennon, you know, being in the NFL, like NFL teams keep picking this guy up. But I mean, 11 of 14 passing 175 yards, two touchdowns. And one of those touchdowns, the guy was wide open, but it was a beautiful deep ball down the middle of the field, hit the guy in stride. And I believe that was uh, Rico Gafford who caught the, the touchdown pass. So if you're a Raiders fan and you're big on Rico Gafford, that's a good uh, that's a good opportunity for him to kind of put something on tape. Uh, and you also, there's so many new faces on this Oakland team. So you're kind of just looking for how are these guys contributing? Uh, one guy who I think is really underrated, Ryan Grant. Uh, he had a touchdown catch on a nice play to the outside, uh, made some guys miss in the open field and, and got a touchdown in the red zone from Derek Carr. I also thought Tyrell Williams made a really nice catch down the left side of the field going up for a jump ball. And Tyrell Williams was one of the focuses of an article on NFLmox.com today, uh, the most underrated players in the AFC West. One of our guys, one of our writers, Joel Deering, put him as the Oakland Raiders' most underrated player. So very interesting. It was a 27-yard grab down the side of the field, and he's obviously known for big plays. So very interesting game for the Raiders, and Nathan Peterman's now out here lighting up Vance Joseph's defense, which I think is another thing. If, if John Gruden could just play against Vance Joseph's defenses all the time, I'm sure he would be just tickled pink because – he and the Raiders have just absolutely torched Vance Joseph the last two times they've seen him. So, man, tough night if you're Vance Joseph. Yeah, I love that Peterman, man, man. I like this Peterman guy, man. I like the Peterman yeah. guy, man. Peterman. All right, no, what I was going to say about this Arizona <laughs> Cardinals, uh, you know, roster right now, Sarah, is I think we, we can start, you know, maybe, you know, early, early overreaction, but maybe start to question – 
this draft, at least, at least in terms of being able to be healthy and be ready for, you know, the preseason. No Byron Murphy. We haven't seen much or any of him. Andy Isabella got onto the field for the first time tonight. He received two targets, didn't catch a ball. Zach Allen, we haven't seen him all preseason. Hakeem Butler, we haven't seen him all preseason. Deontay Thompson, let's go check the game logs. What did he do? One tackle tonight, okay? So not a lot. I already told you last episode what I thought about about. Lamont Gallard, my boy from the University of Georgia, felt like he's maybe gained a few additional pounds that mm-hmm. might not necessarily be needed. Uh, though he's playing a lot of positions right now, he's not up to the shape and caliber that he was when he left Athens and the University of Georgia this spring. So, uh, you know, I, it's way too early, obviously, right? We, we, we know it's top-end loaded with Kyler Murray. We know how, what I think about that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Sarah, I know you loved Byron Murphy coming out of Washington. But outside of that, the only thing they've really hit on so far that we know of, uh, based off of the words we've heard from camp, is Keyshawn Johnson Jr., right? Their sixth-round draft pick. He's apparently, uh, from the quotes, been the most impressive rookie in the camp this season. So that includes Andy Isabella. That, mm. that includes Hakeem Butler, who probably hasn't been very healthy. Um, that's all the undrafted guys. The number one most impressive guy this camp has been Keyshawn Johnson. So that's a little something to note there. Uh, obviously, Christian Kirk there to fill a bunch of holes and, and, and get a bunch of targets. We haven't seen much of him this preseason either, obviously, with him being a starter. So uh, the offense as a whole for the Arizona Cardinals today looked absolutely putrid. Uh, while Kyler Murray was in there, I believe they had six Offensive penalties, majority of those coming by way of false starts. So pre-snap penalties are absolutely the number one thing that will kill you in football. It is also absolutely the number one sign of an undisciplined football team. So they'll look to, you know, clean those types of things up, Sarah. One thing I noticed from this football game, and I got to talk about it, is our boy Cleveland Farrell. Now, he is our boy, but he wasn't our guy at the number four pick overall. I don't know many people in this world outside of Mike Mayock and John Gruden that would even, you know, venture to say that he was their guy at number four. But Cleveland Farrell, my main issue right now is he just looks like another guy, Sarah. And and, and for you to draft a defensive end, a culture setter, as you call him, there at the number one, number four overall pick, and then immediately in his first and second preseason games on, you know, pass rushing downs, you bring a guy by the name of Arden Key into the, you know, into the game of play and then bump Cleveland Farrell. Again, your number four overall edge rusher, your defensive end, you bump him to three technique. It's just not a good sign very, very early for a fan base that's probably expecting a lot out of Cleveland Farrell. What were your thoughts about seeing Cleveland Farrell play three tech uh, in third and longs there, sir? Yeah, I really don't like it because the Raiders already have a couple guys who are, are pretty good with that, right? I mean, Maurice Hurst is pretty good three technique, so you would think that their best option would be to, to maybe come have Arden Key stand up mm-hmm. and, and play on the other side of Cleveland Farrell, whose hand is in the dirt. But, gosh, I don't know, man. I just – everything about the Raiders confuses me. You know, there's – their their roster moves it it just seems kind of like they you know if you have a if you control a team on Madden and you go like I don't know if you've ever done this maybe it's just me I know enough, I know a couple of other people used to do this but like you go into the free agent pool and there's a bunch of talented players in the free agent pool right before the start of the regular season when you start a franchise up and you just start signing all these random free agents off the off the heap just because you you recognize their name that's kind of what the Raiders roster feels like. I mean, it's just it's such a weird cluster. And then to their their decision making with personnel, it just seems like they're getting a little too cute with stuff. And uh I just I don't know. I definitely don't like that, especially when you draft a guy to play that edge spot. I don't know. I don't like it. But man, if you're a Raiders fan, I mean, there's not a lot to be unexcited about in this game. I mean, you're you're winning 33 to 13 as we sit here recording this right now and Nathan Peterman's out there hasn't thrown an incomplete pass yet so I don't know but yeah I definitely agree with you not a fan of sliding him inside all right let's empty out Brooks's book here let's get through all the notes 
Hunter Renfro looks like a middle schooler. That was one of my notes. Uh, he looked, he looked like an elementary. You know, he, no, I'm sorry. He looked like a JV high school football player at Clemson. Now he's downgraded fully to a middle schooler, but he's still making plays. Still had a couple catches tonight. My other note I had, and this is thanks to Booger McFarland on the ESPN broadcast. Shout out to Booger. I'm sure he doesn't get very many of those nowadays. But Sarah, Paul Gunther, former Cincinnati Bengals defense coordinator, now the defense coordinator for your. Oakland Raiders. Let me ask you, Sarah, who do you think he said mm. was the smartest football player he's ever coached? I'm going to go ahead and just because I think that this would be the answer that he should not give, I'm going to go ahead and say Vontez Burfick. Vontez Burfick is the smartest football player Paul Gunther has ever <laughs> coach uh, those words oh, came out of his mouth and I and I don't doubt it I heard the word you know I heard what you know I scouted him all the way back there at Arizona State when he played and obviously came out with I think he ran a 5140 or something like that also had some off the field concerns yeah. coming out of college you know so it wasn't a great look coming out of college but he gets into the league and it looks like he's gonna have about a 10-year career Sarah and it also looks like he's put about an extra 10 pounds on this offseason. So he better be smart because uh, you better outthink offenses because he's damn sure not going to outrun them. But, you know, I, I, I'm here for it. If Vontez Burfick, if you know that guy can absolutely get everyone on your defense in the correct spot and in the correct alignment, it's a very important skill to have at the linebacker position. Why do all these backup quarterbacks that are in the league that are just absolutely atrocious, why does Matt Schaub still have a job in the league, Sarah, it's because he knows the offense, he can come in there, and he can run it, and he can get guys lined up in the correct position. Now, that's not the only, you know, pro you want to have on the list of pros and cons for your starting inside linebacker, but it's a very important one for the guy who wears the sticker on the helmet. Can you at least go as far as to say that, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as operating in the, within the defense, you know, Burfick's proven he's very good with that because he's overcome athletic limitations. As far as being a smart player, I define that a bit differently. I think he's one of the dirtiest players in the league, and I don't consider that to be smart. I've seen too many times from him doing stuff and, and heard from too many different players after games how much they dislike even playing against Burfick. Um, not just because he's so good or anything, but because he's so dirty and, and doesn't play the game with, with integrity. I'm not saying everybody has to you know, be a schoolboy out there either. I, know, I realize it's a tough, tough game, but I just, I've never really respected the, the way that he operates from that regard. And maybe it's different if he's part of your favorite team, but man, it's, uh, it's definitely tough. So he's, he's made a, a long career after being an undrafted free agent you know, getting suspended a number of times and and getting fined however many more times than that. So, I don't know, smartest player that Gunther's ever coached? That's tough, man. That's really tough. He's, he's coached some pretty darn good players. There were some good Bengals defenses back in the their, you know, if you want to call it a heyday. But, man, I don't know. that. I just don't know if I could agree with that. But I guess I haven't coached him, so I don't really know. <laughs> That boy Sarah out here riding his high horse. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's, that's good stuff right there, man. No, I, I, I do enjoy that. I mean, Vontez Burfick, I understand why you have your withdrawals on him, and, and I agree with you, man. If you're going to deal with any type of distractions, if you're going to have to answer more questions than you typically would, it better be for a player a little bit of higher caliber than Vontez Burfick. Sarah, you hate to see it. We're running a lot later. Man, we came into this show, listeners, not having an idea what we are going to talk about. Next thing you know, two football guys are 52 minutes in here just having a blast. Sarah, you hate to see it. What do you got for me tonight? Well, you hate to see it. First uh, first and foremost, we kind of wrote Andy Isabella's night off, but I'm watching right Tutty. now live, and he just caught a deep touchdown. Yep, a really nice play out of the slot there for the Cardinals. So good for Andy Isabella, but... Man, you hate to see when Brooks is right about something, even just literally a day after he speaks it into existence. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but for if you're Marcus Mariota, you really hate to see it because Mariota has had a tough go of it since his rookie season when he looked like he was going to be one of the next great QBs in the league. 
Uh, Mariota now competing with Ryan Tannehill. And I say competing, and that's the key word here, because it now appears as though Ryan Tannehill is going to actually have a decent shot to to overtake Mariota as the starting QB in Tennessee. And that's really intriguing to me, because this is a contract year for Mariota. And it, right? He hasn't signed an extension yet or anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, not that I know of. So, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, coming into Tennessee and just wrecking the home of Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating because Tannehill has obviously not been known for having a clean bill of health all the way throughout his career. Neither has Mariota. But the Titans are under a lot of pressure to win, in my opinion. I mean, they've they've got two legitimate contenders in that division, and they need to win they need to win now. Uh, not that Mike Vrabel's done a poor job or anything, but they need to prove that they are division title contenders. And if Ryan Tannehill gives them the best shot at doing that, I mean, he's not hes not a hack out there or anything. I think when Tannehill's healthy, he plays a really good brand of football. He's a good runner. He's got a strong arm. He can, he can make all the throws. I think he's a 65% com, uh, completion guy. So that's, that's strong. And uh, obviously... He led the Dolphins to the playoffs in a division that features Tom Brady. So that I mean, he's done it before. He's not he's not a hack, and Mariota isn't either. But at the same time, he has not been an elevator in recent years. And so, man, you hate to see it if you're Mariota. You're the the, the job that you thought maybe was given to you uh, that you didn't necessarily have to earn. Now you got to go earn it. So it's tough, man. It's really tough, but. You just hate – if you're the Titans, maybe you love to see it. But if you're Mariota, man, you hate to see it. The the fan base that I think really hates to see it has to be the Miami Dolphins, right? You let this guy go. You don't know if you're going to sign him or extend him. Mm. Uh, and then he goes up to Tennessee and presumably, presumably to, you know, might dismount their, you know, franchise quarterback or one that they thought was their franchise quarterback there in Tennessee. But, yeah, man, you got to hate to see that, right? Brooks Austin coming on the NFL Mocks podcast on a Monday evening, telling you that Ryan Tannehill's looking solid, telling you that Ryan Tannehill's going to push Mariota for a starting job by week four. And here we are Thursday night, uh, come to find out Ryan Tannehill's pushing for that job week one. So you hate to see it, man. Got to love it, though, on my end mm. for being a little bit right. But you know what I hate to see, Sarah? And this is per- 100% personally me, okay? This has nothing to do with the NFL or anything, uh, you know, the players that are involved at this issue or at this complaint specifically that I have. And it absolutely is special teams penalties. Football games are long enough, guys. I know I watch Red Zone on Sunday, and if you're not watching Red Zone on Sunday, you're not doing football correctly. So we don't really see the flags every now and then. Um, We might get a couple, but we damn sure aren't watching special teams plays on NFL Red Zone because that's not what it's for. It's for the score, and it's for the offense, not the special teams. We don't watch a punt on Sundays. Um, But anyways, back back to these special teams penalties, man. Every single punt there is in preseason, there's a block in the back. There's a holding on the play. I'm going to tell you right now, if I had the power as a head football coach in the NFL or, for that matter, really any level apart from Pop Warner and high school football because there are elite level or elite athletes that are much better than everybody else on the field uh, in terms of punt returners, you're just not going to return a punt for me, man. And you're, you're probably not going to return a kick unless you absolutely have to. You are going to put your hand in the air. You are going to wave it. You're going to fair catch that ball. And we're going to take possession where you caught that football because I'm sick and tired of seeing every single punt play a team get moved back 10 yards because there was a block in the back on the play. Uh, the risk versus rewards just not here for me. And in a game of analytics, right, they figured out that throwing the ball on first down is highly efficient that running the ball on first down is anti-efficient. They figured that out with the numbers. What I haven't come to understand is why the NFL hasn't figured out the fact that you probably should just fair catch all punts because the risk versus the reward is just not there. That's what I hate to see, Sarah, and they need to get it cleaned up. Or, Mm -hmm. for that matter, just relax the rules a little bit, uh, referees, on these punt coverage teams. Man, it's really, really hard. Guys are moving really fast. If I can't quite get my head across – uh, if I can only get my head on their shoulder to, to hit them, maybe you don't call the block in the back. Uh, or, you know, if, if I got outside hand leverage, maybe you don't call the hold 
on punt like you typically would on a regular 11 versus 11 downage uh, there in the NFL. So that's why you hate to see us there. Uh, send the folks out, man. Hmm. Yeah, thank you all for listening. I'm sorry we didn't get any Meet the Parents references in this episode, but gosh, if you would, we'd really appreciate you rating, reviewing, subscribing, whatever you do. I know one of my favorite things, and I mentioned this before on on previous podcasts, but one of my favorite things is waking up on, on Mondays and Fridays and Tuesdays and whatever it is that my favorite podcasts come out any day of the week, really. Uh, I love seeing the notification come across my phone and just being able to swipe and and open it right up and that makes it handy for me so i know that it's handy for all of you who are podcast listeners so if you would go ahead and do that for us we'd really appreciate that get us some better placement on itunes or stitcher or spreaker or wherever you listen to podcasts at that would be greatly appreciated because we love giving and providing the content and we love having you all part of the story so Thank you for that in advance, and we're looking forward to the next episode. I've got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? That's one of my favorite ones. And when he goes to the fridge and he grabs his collar and just freaks out. Oh. Yeah, that's great. What a great movie. Meet the parents. We'll see you guys next week on the NFL Mox Podcast. We appreciate you for listening. We'll see you guys. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.